I love the local church. I love the local church so much that I'm giving my life and service to her because I believe in the mission of the church. I also believe that if we love Jesus, we are called to love his bride and defend her to help her become healthier and more of a reflection of the one who has saved her and formed her and called us to himself. And listen, I gotta be honest, over the years, there have been some things that have challenged that affection, that have challenged that commitment. I've, I've seen some things, I've experienced some things that have, have led me to question that love on occasion. I've been burned by the church, deeply wounded on multiple occasions. I've seen my home church split in a very ugly way. I've had members of churches where I've served in previous places act in surprisingly unchristian ways toward me and my family. I've, I've seen churches frustratingly refuse to change and have to shut their doors because of their own prejudices or because of their own preferences. And maybe you've experienced something like that in the past as well, where your love for the local church has been threatened, challenged. And maybe at some point you've even thought about walking away. I've been reading a book over the past year called The Great Dechurching. And in this book, the authors list some reasons why people have left the church. They've, they've walked away from their commitment to the local church. Some they talked to revealed that they've experienced spiritual and physical abuse. Some said because of the hypocrisy they've seen among church members and leaders. Some disagree with sexual ethics or political syncretism, political disagreement. They saw suffering, racism, bigotry, or a lack of relevance to their own problems. Some were victims of pastoral malpractice themselves, causing them to walk away from the church. Have you been there? Have you experienced something that has threatened your love for the local church? Well, if so, I'm encouraged you're here today. I'm encouraged that you're still here. I'm, in, I'm encouraged that we are all still here. We praise the Lord for that. Maybe like you, or maybe like me, you feel constrained by the spirit to remain a part of the local body. You feel constrained to remain a part of the church in order to engage with God's people for his glory, despite our flaws, despite our failures. And if that's your commitment, if you are desiring to commit in spite of those things, the Apostle Paul serves as a wonderful example to us of how not only to continue to challenge the church, why we should do it. He, he displays for us how we should engage the church, but also why we should engage in the church. As we begin our study to this morning in the book of 1 Corinthians, we see Paul having to, to defend himself defend himself against numerous accusations regarding the legitimacy of his apostolic calling, against the legitimacy of his office and his ministry. There are, there are people in the church that he helped to start questioning whether or not he has any right as an apostle of Jesus Christ to continue to speak into this church, whether or not the theology, the doctrine that he entrusted to this people is sound and good and worthy of following. They're, they're questioning his character, what he has given his life to, and yet Paul does not waver in his love. He does not waver in his commitment to this people in Corinth despite the accusations they are making against him. Rather, he engages directly 
confident in the calling that God has placed upon his life, confident in this church's continued need for the gospel because the sanctifying work of God is not yet finished in their life. Aren't you glad that he's still working on us as his people? The people of God, we need continual reminders, often reminders of who we are in Christ so that we can continue the mission that Christ has entrusted to us until the day he returns. And I think that's what most excites me about this study, this series in the book of 1 Corinthians. Because in this book, we get such a reminder. We get a reminder of who we are as the people of God in Christ. Yes, we will talk about some things that can threaten the church. We will talk about some things that will challenge our love for the church. There are so many flaws in the church in Corinth. Anything you can imagine going wrong in a church is going wrong in Corinth. And yet, despite all the flaws, despite all the failures, Paul also gives us a biblical picture of what the church can be, must be. What we should strive to be. As we keep our eyes on Jesus. Can I just remind us, Bayleaf Baptist Church, who we are in Christ this morning? We are a people set apart by Christ for Christ. We are a people set apart by Christ for Christ. And we are the hope of the world because we are stewards of the gospel message. Let's ask God to give us a glimpse of the glory of his bride this morning the bride of Christ, to stir our hearts anew yet again with a love for this people because of our love for Jesus. We're gonna read the first 17 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter one, and here's what the word of God says. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind. That mind that we learned earlier from Philippians 2 is ours in Christ Jesus. The same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. But is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that none of you may say you are baptized in my name. 
I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether or not I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, our text today, these first 17 verses, really set a foundation for the whole letter that Paul is writing. Because in these 17 verses, we see both a biblical picture of the church and a threat to the church that Paul must address. And that's kind of the the pattern of the whole book. A reminder of who the church should be and something threatening that that vision, that biblical vision of the church. The picture that Paul paints here of the body of Christ it's stunning. It's, it's truly beautiful. And I hope that it grasps, it grabs your heart. And the threat that, that Paul sees threatening the church there is immediate. And so Paul feels compelled. He feels so compelled by the spirit to write to the church and, and speak directly, forcefully against the working of the enemy in their midst to help this church get their eyes back on Christ. So let's look this morning at both the biblical picture of the church that we should strive for and a threat that's coming against it because it's a threat that continues to threaten us to this very day. First, this biblical picture of the church that we see in verses two through nine. Paul defines the church, the body of Christ in this way. Verse two, we are saints together. Isn't that good? Saints together. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, we're saints together. What an incredible definition, a beautiful picture of who we are called to be as a people. Let's, let's flesh it out a little bit to make sure we grab the beauty of what Paul is saying to us here. First church, we are saints. Saints. Who that? I'm not talking about the New Orleans saints. Talking about God's saints. Paul writing this letter to the Corinthians, likely the second one he wrote, we don't have a copy of the first one he wrote, describes those he's writing to, his audience, as those sanctified in Christ Jesus, verse two. The church in Corinth, the Christians who make up that church are by Paul's words, definition, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sanctified. That means they are called to be set apart, They are called to be holy, made holy by God for his glory. And I want you to think about it in terms of a relationship between who we're supposed to be and the Sabbath day. Do you remember the Sabbath day in the Old Testament? The story of creation, God created everything in six days. And then what did he do on the seventh day? He rested, okay? But then as God gives the law, as he gives the covenant to his people, he sets apart that seventh day for a purpose. This, this day is going to look different than every other day. And listen to how Moses writes to the people of God about this day. This is from Deuteronomy 5, beginning in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. There's that word, set apart, sanctified. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you're going to labor. Six days you do all your work. But that seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you will not do any work. You your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, even your animals, your ox, your donkey, your livestock, the sojourner who's in your gates, that your male servant, your female servant may rest as well as you. And here's what you're gonna do. 
you're going to remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. The Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day holy. God set apart one of the days of the week to be a day of rest and reflection to his people. And the way he set it apart is important. He wanted that day to be so noticeably different that you wouldn't forget the purpose of that day. And the same thing is true here as as God forms the people of God. They were to be noticeably different. Noticeably, Noticeably different. God has called out this people from among all the peoples of the world. He has called out this people from among all the nations of the world so that through us, through our, our display, our proclamation, the gospel can, be, can go forth and people can be drawn to Jesus in repentance and belief. And here's how he accomplished this work. Here's how he set us apart and made us holy. He's fashioned us as his people through the work of Jesus. Listen to how Paul says God has worked and is working in them in Christ to set them apart for his glory. And I want you to be encouraged by this church because what is happening here in 1 Corinthians with the work that God is doing in the church in Corinth at this time is the exact same kind of work that he is doing today. Praise be to God. Paul says, church in Corinth, verse four, you are given God's grace. In Jesus Christ. Oh, the grace of God. That amazing, marvelous, matchless grace of Jesus by which we are saved. Can we go back to that day? That day when, when God arrested your heart and led you to a place of repentance and belief. Can you remember that day when God made you aware of the burden of your sin? Can you go back to that day? when God showed you the consequence of that sin, that even though you were created to walk in fellowship with God because of your disobedience, because you had rebelled against a holy and righteous God, you would spend an eternity separated from him. Do you remember the weight of that? The despair of that, knowing that there was nothing you could do to to cover that gap that now existed between you, an unholy person, and this holy God? And and just in that moment when your despair was getting so unbearable, the joy of the gospel broke through because while you could not do something to work your way back up to God, God sent his son to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserved so that through his death and resurrection, we could be restored to right relationship with the holy God. More than that, we could be forgiven of our sins. Oh, the grace, church family, that we have experienced in the Son. More than that, if that was not enough, verse 5, Paul says we've been enriched, enriched in Jesus and all speech and knowledge. Think about this. Not only has God authored our salvation in Christ, he has, by his grace, allowed us to see what he has done and believe in it. Isn't that remarkable? By grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not a work of yourselves. It is a gift of God, this faith. Think about this. 
God orchestrated our salvation in Christ. And then he positioned us in such a way to hear his gospel proclaimed. He worked through his spirit in our hearts to to open ourselves, to, to drop the scales of sin for our eyes, to see what we could not see on our own, to lead us to a place of belief and salvation. That's what our God has done for us in Jesus. He's enriched our knowledge. He's enriched our speech to be able to now speak of the glory of God, to speak our our worship of God as a people. We've been given this message. We've been allowed to believe it. And the baptism, Paul says, your baptism and the gifts of the spirit validate this work in verses six and seven. Not only has God allowed you to be saved, he's confirmed your salvation through the work of baptism and the gifts of the Spirit to show you that he is still working, that he is still moving you toward Christ. And that will continue, according to Paul, until the day that Jesus returns because, verses 8 and 9, the people of God are sustained by Christ. He will hold you fast for his glory and his return to purposes until he He takes you home or he calls all of us home when he returns. God has set this church apart in Christ for Christ. Bayleaf Baptist Church, God has set us apart in Christ for Christ. We are saints and we are called to look different from everyone else. Just as the Sabbath day looks different, we are to be a different kind of people, holy, set apart for God, because we are to evidence the saving power of Christ and the unique joy that can only be found in him. And we're to do this together, Paul says. Not just saints, but saints together. And this addition to the definition of what Paul says we are as the people of God is so important for us to grasp and believe in a world that is increasingly individualistic. I, 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 me, me, me. God wants something different for us. He wants and has designed us to be a part of a people. Listen, we are not called to be set apart as individuals, even though God saves us individually. We are called to be set apart together, to be a part of a people because our witness is strengthened. God's sanctifying work in our lives is strengthened when we are together. We come together to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, to exhibit the fellowship that we have been called to, verse nine, the fellowship of his son and also with one another. Paul even says that our togetherness And our desire to be together is an evidence of our set-apartness. The together part of this definition reinforces and sharpens the saint part of the work of God in our lives. We were designed by God in his image to live in relationship. We were designed to live with God in relationship. And when we were alone, no human beings in the garden, God said that was not good. We are designed on purpose to live in relationship, but we also know, we said this often here at Bayleaf, said it a minute ago, that sin affects those relationships. It affects our vertical relationship with God, and then as a result of that, affects every other horizontal relationship. But we also believe that the gospel restores what sin has broken. 
That as we are restored into right relationship with God, we can live in right relationship with one another. And we evidence that in the church. We are called to fellowship with the Son and then evidence the the Lordship of Christ in our fellowship with one another. You see, there are whole dimensions of the gospel. Whole dimensions of the gospel that we cannot evidence outside of gospel community. How can we experience the joy of giving and receiving forgiveness in isolation? Or of extending grace to our brother and sister? How can we bear one another's burdens as Christ has borne our burdens individually? How can we see those places that sin has blinded us to in our lives without the the help of godly counsel from brothers and sisters, pastors and teachers that God has given to us as a gift? How can we display to a broken world what it looks like to live in supernatural unity without diversity held together by the gospel of Jesus? We need the church. You need the church. I need the church. What's more, the world needs the church. And it needs us living in supernatural gospel unity as a testimony to the goodness of Christ, his rule. We're so divided as a nation, so divided as a culture and a community. What would it look like, Bailey, for us to be a kingdom outpost? To show what it looks like despite our differences, race, economics, cultural background, to be unified, held together in Christ. And it's no accident that Paul begins his letter in this way with an appeal to this vision of the church because the church in Corinth is not living up to her potential. In fact, they're not looking set apart at all. Their witness is threatened by many threats, but Paul begins with the most important one. So let's look at that as well. Moving on from the biblical vision of the church now to the threat that's posed to the church. And we see this hinted at in chapter one, verse one, but then expressed in verses 10 to 17. This threat is division. The church in Corinth is not presently a collection of saints together. They're better termed saints not together. And Paul says this division is threatening their claim of being saints in the first place. They're not not living in a set-apart way. They look just like the divided world around them. They are steeped in the wake of their sin. And it's important for us to recognize the source of this division Paul says that Chloe's people have have brought a report to him. The church is quarreling. No doubt they have one of those famous Baptist business uh, business meetings. And now they're separating in factions around leadership. In fact, what's likely the case is that there are leaders, again, questioning the teaching and authority of Paul. They're questioning his apostolic ministry. We'll talk more about this in the coming weeks. but, But Paul was not a great public speaker. He was not a great orator. He didn't have that kind of rhetoric flair. But he also didn't desire to be known for that. He wanted to be known for the gospel. But public speaking was a very important thing at this time in Corinth. It was a favorite pastime. And some begin to say that Paul could not be truly gifted from God because he wasn't gifted in the way that he spoke. They they didn't really care about what he said. It was how he said it that mattered to them. And because he didn't say it well, they questioned the wisdom, the true wisdom of what it was that he was teaching to them. That's why probably Paul begins chapter one, verse one, with an 
making kind of an, an advocate, being an advocate for his apostolic calling. He says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I don't care what you say about my apostolic office. God called, remember, Jesus met me on the road to Damascus. He set me apart for this. So you can say whatever you want, but I am an apostle of Jesus. But there's also another leader in the Christian, Christian community at this time. His name was Apollos. And from every record we have in the Bible, he was a godly man as well, but he could speak. He could really speak. The Bible says he was a great orator and people loved to hear him speak. Oh, I just love hearing Apollos speak. I could listen to Apollos speak all day. He was a Christian apologist who was trained by Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. You can read about that in Acts 18. And Apollos left Ephesus to go to Corinth and minister there in what seems to be a a fruitful time of ministry. But now Apollos is not there. Paul is not there. And in their absence, factions were developing in the church around who's the better speaker. And in their minds, the better leader. Whoever was the most gifted orator is the one that we should follow. There's a danger here because if rhetoric... How you say something is the most important qualifier for leadership. What happens when someone begins to wax poetic about sin? What happens when people begin to to speak well about things that are outside the gospel? Itching those ears, as Paul warns us about later in the New Testament. And that's what's happening here. They value the packaging of the message so much more than the content of the message that are willing to listen to even people tell them things that are outside of Scripture and follow that. So Paul does what he does best. As an apostle of Jesus, someone who loves this church, he writes to them. And in love, he identifies their sin, the folly of their sinful judgment, and he calls the church back to Christ. Why on earth are you dividing over human beings? It's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's not even about Peter. You know, the apostle of Jesus, the other one, Peter, you probably heard of. It's not about any of us. It's about Christ. To divide into camps over human beings is foolishness and evidences that you've lost sight of who really matters. Christ is not divided. He's not, and we're only a people in him. You are not baptized into Paul. Paul didn't die for you. You're not baptized into Apollos. All of us are simply servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We serve his gospel. And that's powerful enough on its own. The question is, why did you believe the gospel in the first place? Is it because of Apollos' flowery words? Or is it because he just made the better argument? Or is it because the Spirit of God brought conviction on your heart when you recognized your need for a Savior and God's glorious provision for you in Christ? Why have you believed? What brought your heart to repentance and belief? You must return to the right foundation of your fellowship, church. You must return to Christ so you don't threaten the witness of your church. Apollos and I have different gifts, yes, but we serve the same Lord. Everything is for the sake of Christ. So strive in the spirit because of the work of Jesus confirmed in you through the evidence of the gifts to be saints together. What a powerful word. 
for us today here at Bayleaf Baptist Church, called to be saints together. And let's just think about for a moment some, some responses for us, some ways that we should respond to the, this word proclaimed over us today to help us walk in greater faithfulness for the glory of God. Firstly, church, would you see the beauty of the church? Would you see the beauty of the local church as God has designed her? We are saints together. Let me just focus on that saints part just for a little bit longer. If you are in Christ, you are set apart. If you are in Christ, you are a sinner who has been saved and now you are a saint. And an important question for us to ask this morning is, am I in Christ? You can't be together with us if you're not in Christ. Are you a saint Has there ever been a moment in your life when you've responded to that gospel proclamation in repentance and belief? If not, would today be the day of your salvation? When you would confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead to be saved. In just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to encourage you and pray with you if the Lord is leading you in that direction to step out of judgment and into salvation through Christ. He's the only way. Would you follow him today? If you are in Christ, though, would you just delight in the promises that are yours in Jesus as a saint, that you have been shown immeasurable grace, that you've been been enriched in the most incredible way? The way that God has enriched you is better than hitting a jackpot or winning the lottery. God has allowed you to see what he has done for you in Jesus, and he is He's authenticated that work in you by giving you gifts to serve him and his people for his glory as we seek to make disciples of all nations. And he will hold you in his hand. He will hold you fast until the day he returns. Those are yours in Christ. We are saints. Now listen, it is true that sometimes we will not act like saints. We've not arrived in glory yet, right? And even though we're saints, we still live in a broken and fallen world. And yes, there are times when we will look like hypocrites. There are times when we will let each other down. There are times when we will give the church a black eye. But you remember who you are in Christ. You remember who we are supposed to be in Christ. And you stay faithful for him. I love how Paul begins this letter. And, and telling them who they are, who they should recognize they are in Christ. Because even though they don't look like it here, Paul wants to remind them they are still his. So cling to that today, O oh, saints. It's important that we remember whose foundation we are built upon. And that's Jesus. And remember, it's also important that we be saints together. And that leads us to our our second point. Would you commit to being a part of an an active part of a local church? I say this boldly because I think it's biblical. You cannot fully walk in faithfulness to Christ without the local church. You can't. You cannot become fully who Christ is calling you to be without the people of God. You're called to be saints together. And so let me just encourage you as a pastor and a brother in Christ, be here. Be here. Be a part of the local church in person as much as you can be. 
One pastor said, we got to show up to stir up. We need each other to, to remind us of how to walk in faithfulness and keep our eyes on Jesus. You need to be under the spiritual guidance of pastors. You need to be situated under the ministry of the word. You need to be held accountable by brothers and sisters in Christ who love you for your spiritual good. Can I also argue this morning that it will also do you some physical and emotional good as well. The same book I mentioned earlier, The Great Dechurching, talks about how there was a, a study done by Harvard who says that it is emotionally and physically good for you to be a part of a local church, as if God designed it to be that way. Can you imagine? <laughs> Here's what they wrote. There's strong scientific evidence that supports the correlation between church attendance and improved physical and mental health. This team, they did a, a program, it's called the Human Flourishing Program, saw that individuals who attended services at least once per week had a lower risk of all-cause mortality by 26%, and they resisted, or they, were, they had a lower risk of heavy drinking by 34%. Another 2016 study from the same Human Flourishing Program, they looked at 70, or a little over 74,000 women concluded that. Frequent attendance at religious services was associated with significantly lower risk of all-cause cardiovascular and cancer mortality among women. Religion and spirituality may be an underappreciated resource that physicians could explore with their patients. Can you imagine? <laughs> There's more. The mental health picture we saw in our study was sad for the, deter the de churched, showing much or such low self reported figures on anxiety, depression, loneliness, and suicidal thoughts. There is no doubt that the underlying reasons for these numbers are varied and complex. But there does seem to be strong scientific evidence that regular, especially weekly church attendance is good for your mental and physical health. I didn't just say that. The Bible didn't just say that. Even Harvard says that. There's no better decision that you can make for your spiritual, physical, mental well-being in 2024 than becoming a member of a local church. And listen, it's not this church. Find a gospel believing Bible teaching church and get in there. And we got, we're so blessed in Raleigh to have so many wonderful, faithful churches. Find one, get engaged for the glory of God. If you wanna be a part of this one, great news. We've got a membership class in just a few weeks on January 28th. Come hear about what it means to be a member here at Bayleaf and what it looks like for us to do life together. And finally, let's strive to walk in unity for the testimony of the gospel. Let's be saints together who are truly together. Let's strive to have the mind of Christ. He calls us together. He holds us together. And listen, there'll be times when we disagree. Do you know that disagreement's okay? Sometimes we're gonna disagree. But we gotta be careful not to divide. Now, there are some things that you must divide over, doctrinal things. But where we can remain in unity under Christ, let's be in unity under Christ. Let's make membership matter. That's why we... We're so passionate about covenant membership here because we want you to know the commitment you're making when you join this. It's not just another collection of people. It's not a, a country club or any other organization. There's something spiritual that happens when you join the people of God. We are being knitted together in Christ. That should matter. And so let's walk in unity. Let's don't walk away the moment something is difficult. What does that say about Christ? 
and our oneness in Christ, if at the, the moment something gets hard, we walk out. Let's be knitted together and show how the gospel can overcome our disagreements, how the gospel can overcome our differences and help us walk in unity because Lord knows the world needs that kind of testimony, doesn't it? Listen, the church sometimes is hard work, but the work is worth it because Jesus is worth it. His bride is worth it and the world needs a healthy church to proclaim and display the gospel. Will we be this kind of church, Bayleaf? Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Ask God to help you know how to respond to our time together before his word. Certainly the most important question is, are you a saint? Are you in Christ? Now's that time where you can come and pray with us and we can encourage you help you know what it means to know and follow Jesus. But those of us who are in saint, or who are saints, are we in Christ? Are we saints together? Are you committed to the local body? Maybe there's something that is in your past that's jeopardizing your love for the church. Would you just put that before Jesus today? And remember what we should look like. There are times, yes, when we fall short. But the beauty of this vision for who we can be in Jesus is so compelling. Would you ask God to help you be committed to the local church, to help this church become more like Jesus? Have you joined? Become a member of a local church so you can be accountable and you can stir up others as you show up for others. And would you commit to walk in unity, to show the world around us what it looks to live under the Lordship of Christ. Father, would you help us respond in a way that brings you glory and helps us walk in greater faithfulness? We entrust this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.